0: Our first reading comes to us from 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you, and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded, and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Aliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I trust the sweetest rain, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all the ground is sinking sand, all the ground is sinking sand. Seems to hide his face I rest on his unchanging grace In every high and stormy gale My anchor holds within the veil On Christ the solid rock I stand All of the ground is sinking sand all of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. His oath is covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. Soul gives way, even is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All the ground is sinking sand. All the ground is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand All of the ground is sinking sand so mm-hmm. my eyes on eternity above Where every light is uncovered by your love Where every light every shadow is uncovered by your love Where every light Every shadow is uncovered by your love Lord, you hear The pleading of the faithful I search for you Hide not your faith I drift, a shell among the ruins. How long, how long till these tears are gone? How long, Lord, how long, how long till these tears are gone?
0: A reading from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I can lack nothing. He shall feed me in green pastures and lead me forth beside the waters of comfort. He shall refresh my soul and bring me forth in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You shall prepare a table before me in the presence of those who trouble me. You have anointed my head with oil, and my cup shall be full. Surely your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit.
1: Lamb of God Who takes away The sins of the world Have mercy On us Have mercy On us Jesus
0: Reading comes to us from John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, "'Go, wash in the pool of Siloam,' which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back, able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before, as a beggar, began to ask, "'Is this not the man who used to sit and beg?' some were saying. "'It is he,' others were saying. "'No, but it is someone like him.' He kept saying, I am the man, but they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day. When Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This is not a man from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know How it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? They reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as far as this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and you are trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Hey friends, it's Matthew, the parish pastor at Trinity in Decatur. And I hope that wherever you're listening to this right now, that you are well, and that those who you love are, are healthy. Um... We are certainly living in some really strange times every day. I think it sinks in a little deeper, the magnitude of just how long and disruptive and difficult, uh, this season's going to be. And so with that comes a whole bunch of uncertainty and, and fear, um, and, and that's that makes a lot of sense because there's um, a lot of things to be afraid of right now. Um, not only the virus itself and the impact that it will have on the people we love and on our world, but also the economic realities associated with this for so many of us. And this is just a really big deal. And so one of the gifts about that the church has is, is this chance to circle back around with our, our kin every week and be reminded of larger, deeper, truer things, things that are more permanent than the latest news flash, things that are going to be, that we'll still be talking about in a million years. And I don't think that we'll be talking about coronavirus in a million years. I think that it's going to make quite a mark on us, but it will have its moment and then it will pass. Um, But the things that we get to be reminded of each week at church are the things uh, that sing louder than the thunder, that go beyond the moment that we are in. And that is a huge gift um, for you and me right now. And so what I want to do is we're going to look at this really incredible passage of Scripture together in a minute. Before we jump into it, though, I want to... I just want to give you a couple of quick announcements to let you know like, how our life's going to look at Trinity Eastside for the next bit. So just like every other organization in the world right now, we're having to figure out how to do things in a new way. We've been leaning into some virtual gathering tools, platforms like Zoom and Google Hangouts, and it's gone really well so far. Like This last Tuesday, we had our first ever Tuesday morning prayer meeting through Zoom, and I woke up. Um, and a bunch of other people woke up and at 7am we were all there in a zoom room and we prayed together. And I, I think one of the things that's been really surprising to me in this season is just how much it is meant to see a person's face and hear their voice. Um, cause this is really isolating this whole thing. And, um, and some of, some of you I know like are listening to this and you have no one that you see throughout the day. So it's just really important during this season that we are finding ways to connect with one another and uh, to have some spiritual life with one another. So we're going to do uh, prayer meetings at 7 a.m. on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and the, the the Google Hangout room where that will happen is on the weekly reader. We're also going to be having office hours where people can sign up to have Virtual meetings with Jenny Seibel, one of our pastors, or myself. So we have slots available every day for half hour meetings, and you can sign up um, for one of those slots uh, at the link that is in your weekly reader. And um, it doesn't have to be like some huge theological question you want to ask, it can just be the, the desire to have a connection to pray with someone. And I would just hope you'll take advantage of those opportunities. We're going to keep doing the office hours as long as we're not able to meet on Sundays. Finally, uh, next Friday, we're going to try something new. We're going to do sort of a live stream environment where I will share a little um, like thought, and uh, but then there'll be space for Q&A and kind of just a chance to connect. So uh, I think – I don't know if we're going to do – I don't know exactly what platform we're using for that. It'll all go out in the weekly uh, to the weekly uh subscribers and so if you're curious in that you need to um just Keep, keep your eyes open. It's important probably to get our weekly reader right now. If you don't get it and you want to know what's going on, it's going to be the best way for us to let you know how to connect into environments. And so you can subscribe at atltrinity.org. Go to the bottom of the page. Hit subscribe. Go to the next page. Hit east side. And then that's where you can sign up to get um, all the emails on, on what's going on on the east side. So um, we're going to... Look at a passage today from Romans eight. It's an incredible passage, and there's literally no way to teach like how much goodness there is in this in in twenty minutes. And um, I'm not really gonna try. Uh, there there's one there's one thing that's really stood out to me in this that feels like maybe it's a word for us right now. Um, but Romans eight is like it's like Mount Everest in the New Testament. It's um, it's it's just like it, it's at least Mount Everest in Paul's writing. It's, it's the best of the best, and it is so beautiful and poetic, and you could spend a whole lifetime just uh, trying to plumb its depths. Um, and so what we're going to do is read 11 verses of it, and then I'm going to pray. And then we will um, just kind of think about one thing from it together. Um, Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 1, There is therefore now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And for this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh. that dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so, Lord, we remember this morning as we come to you that, as it says later in Romans 8, all things work together for good for those who love you, who are called according to your purposes. And we, God, are called according to your purposes. And we love you. And so, Lord, we pray for a release of our anxiousness and we pray that you would help us to hold on tightly to things that are permanent. We ask, God, that you would be present with us. Spirit of God, thank you that you are not limited by space and that even as we are gathered in places all over the city right now. That you are present with each one of us. So let us know you're here, Holy Spirit. Come and be with us in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Um, one of the things that I have been thinking about in this um, passage is is this word that shows up all over the place in it, and it's it's the word in. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. And and it goes on and on. Because the Spirit of God dwells in you and because God condemned sin in the flesh, the righteous requirements of the law can be fulfilled now in us. So this word "in" um, or the Greek equivalent, which is the word "en," um, is is a is a huge word, um, and yet it's just a preposition. It's just a word that has the sense of location to it, but it's not merely location. It's it's also this idea of influence. Um, when Paul says that we are in Christ, he's He's not simply saying that we are like located in him. He's saying that there is a sense in which we are influenced, shaped, and led um, by Christ. Um, That this is what's happening um, for a Christian. And for Paul, the idea of being in Christ is really analogous to being a Christian. That's actually what a Christian is. Um, Paul doesn't tend to use language around discipleship. He doesn't uh, use even much language around like formation, although he certainly does use some. Um, but, but really, it's this idea of being located in, shaped by and influenced by our place in Jesus, in Christ. This is central to what Paul understands it means to be a Christian. And so I just want to just think for a minute about what it means for us to be in Christ. Because right now, we are in a pandemic. We are in a financial meltdown. You and I are in a once-in-a-century event. We are, you could say, we are in danger. Many of us feel as though we are in isolation. And all of that is true. True. In a sense, all of that is shaping and influencing our whole sense of self right now. But there is something about what Paul is saying, which I think is meant to be um, a counter word to that. That yes, we are in a pandemic, but what's even more true is that we are in the one who is Lord over the earth. Yeah, it's true that we are in a financial crisis, but it is also true that we are in the one who holds all things together and has all things at his disposal. The one who um, tells us that we don't need to be anxious about our life um, because our Father knows what we need at the beginning of our text, Paul says, because we are in Christ, we have no condemnation, and that's a really incredible thing. Um, it's an amazing thought that what Paul is saying is that no matter what we have done, that God does not condemn us, that God does not cast judgment on us, and that the reason that he doesn't is because it says. That God condemned sin already in the flesh. That is in Jesus on the cross. It's not saying that God condemned Jesus. Um, it's saying that God condemned the sin. And so, because of that, you and I are now free of any effects of that, which is really huge. And, you know, I know we talked about this last week too, but it's like, I don't think it can be said enough. Like, the way that it works with God. Is, is that it would be now unjust for him to condemn you for something that he has already condemned? In other words, um, you and I only have now in our favor justice. We don't live begging for the mercy of God. We live um, praying for and actually and, and asking for the justice of God because. Of what Jesus has accomplished, justice now swings in our favor, in the favor of humanity. This is an incredible thing. It's grounding. Uh, it also, I think, takes um, license away from us to spend our days condemning everyone around us. Because we all know that even if God chooses to move towards us in ways that are um, gracious and benevolent and kind, and even if He does that, like He like there's there's lots of things about us that actually are condemnable there's lots of things that I do that actually are um are wrong and and yet we are reminded that God does not view us primarily or God does not even view us in light of our worst day or the worst thing we've done but instead chooses to move towards us but instead moves towards us with no condemnation, but rather with this idea that because the sin has been condemned already, now what does it say? Now the just requirements of the law can be met in us, that we can be found to be pleasing to God. Um, We can do what we were always supposed to do because we no longer live in fear. And, you know, the thing is, is like, I'm guessing that probably most of us didn't wake up um, today thinking, um, "Oh no, what am I going to do about my guilt with the Lord?" and and part of that is a is the reality of the times we live in, and also part of that is the reality of the thing we're facing. Everything feels very real right now. Um, there's not a ton of time for abstraction and philosophy, and and you know what? That's okay. Um, I think it's also good to remember that the church in Rome that Paul was writing to, that they were facing persecution. They were facing a lot of hostility. They were a part of an illegal religion in the heart of the empire. And it wouldn't be very long before these Christians in this Roman church that were reading this letter in Paul's own hand, that these would begin to face intense persecution in the Colosseum. These are the Christians who would be dipped in pitch and Lit on fire in Nero's gardens as human lamps for his parties. these are the Christians who would face all kinds of intense persecution and execution. Um, in other words, I think that it's safe to say that for these Christians, like they probably didn't have a ton of time for abstraction either. They probably felt it needs to be real, it needs to it needs to speak to the real things and Paul wanted them to understand. He wanted them to believe in their guts that the last word spoken over them was going to be a word of goodness and not a word of loss, a word of life and not of death because there was no condemnation and they could be condemned by Rome. They could get the virus. Any number of things could happen to them, but they would not ultimately in the end lose because what was true is that there was no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And they were in Christ. And so Paul says, going on in the text, that it's really important, therefore, what you set your mind on because to set your mind in one direction is uh, death and to set the mind in another direction is life and peace. In other words, Paul's saying there is an actual reality that you can choose to live in and there are many other realities that you can choose to live in and what you choose to do with your mind what you choose to meditate on, to think on, um, what you ponder in, uh, on as, as you fall asleep. This is like a rudder of a ship. It is, it is absolutely driving and directing the course of your life. He says it uh, very simply, to set the mind of the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. I would imagine that a number of us right now, could go for some life and peace as opposed to death. It's so easy right now to just have stories of darkness and death wrap themselves around my mind all day long. It can feel like that is the last word, that there is nothing really beyond this or nothing certain and that means that the loudest thing is the uncertainty. To set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. My friend sent me this prayer this week. He's been going through a lot. He's he's my age, and he's already had cancer twice, multiple surgeries. And the way that he and his family have... Um, gone through this has been amazing to watch. So anyway, he sent me this prayer. It's this contemplative practice called the welcoming prayer. It's a way of just acknowledging in the moment that you're in in this insanity of it, the craziness, the chaos of it, that God is here. And so the welcoming prayer is is a chance to just sort of take a pause, like take a beat and reground yourself that God is with you. And One of the ways that, um, he said that he uses it is he, he prays, oh God, grant me the grace to live in that space between impulse and action, um, that I would just be a person who's able to be in this moment right now, um, not impulsively, um, not reactive, um, also not just charging ahead, but listening, um, being open remembering that you hold all things together including me and my life and begin to let the anxiousness to begin to let the death sort of wash off of you the one thing that we all have right now is time to think Uh, with, with a few exceptions some of you are working harder than you've ever worked in your life um but a lot of us find ourselves just trying to figure out how to make sense of this whole thing. Welcome God into that space. Set the mind on the spirit. Remember that the last word is good because I am in Christ. When you're feeling anxious, when you're starting to get worried, you could just say it to yourself right now, even at my worst. I am in Christ. I think it's it's actually that kind of returning to a rootedness, a groundedness, that is going to enable us to do this over the long haul. Um, that's the sort of grounding that's going to make it possible for us to not lose heart, to not give in to fear, to... Um, Remain the kind of people that we want to be and not let the pressure of this actually overwhelm us. It's important for us in this season to know what's going on, to remain connected, to be informed. Um, And so do that. Be smart. (laughs) Listen to what experts say. Um, but never forget that the most important thing about you and about me right now is not that we are in a pandemic but that we are in Christ and that because of that nothing can ultimately shake us there is a indestructibleness There's this verse in Hebrews that I love that says that Jesus Christ became a priest not because of a royal line, but but by the power of an indestructible life, that what Jesus had within him, and now you do because you're in Jesus, is an indestructible life. And I'd imagine that doesn't feel true sometimes, which is why the practices that you and I undertake every day, what we set our mind on, there's just no substitute for it, because to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And so may the spirit saturate your mind this week. As you care for family, as you call up friends, as you wait things out, as you um, do what is before you, may you experience deep within you the certainty that in that moment, the truest thing about you is where you are located, and you are located in Christ.
1: Father in heaven, we are your children. You gave us life, O oh Lord, life inside. Father in heaven, we are your children. First and the last, O Lord, you know us deeply. You search our hearts, we trust. upon the broken and all loving father come and draw near us we see your glory and know that you Shall hear, and all eyes will witness a redeeming power and grace of your Son Jesus. For he alone can save and heal the lost. Oh, all ears shall hear. Eyes will witness. We sing as one, Lord. We are Your children. So pour out Your Spirit upon the broken. your glory and know that you hear us We sing as one, we sing as one and know that you hear us.
2: Let's close our service by standing together. So wherever you find yourself right now, I would just say, if you're able, would you stand? And we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer with one another. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to you. You are loved, and I look forward to seeing you soon.